Hello and welcome to the I Look Like a Doctor podcast, the podcast dedicated to interviewing physicians underrepresented in medicine to inspire the next generation. I am your host, Sarah Torres. On this week's episode, we have Dr. Marco Angulo. As the Medical Director of Medical Education and a faculty member of AltaMed's Family Medicine Residency Program, Dr. Marco Angulo brings an invaluable combination of experience and perspective thanks to his background of working with and training residents in a federally qualified health center setting. He is committed to supporting and growing the program and helping create a strong workforce that is well prepared to serve the medically vulnerable areas of Southern California. His passion is personal since Dr. Angulo was raised there. Even before he became a physician, Dr. Angulo knew his life's work was to serve these communities. He graduated from the University of California, Berkeley with a degree in Chicano Studies. He entered medical school at the University of California, Irvine, and participated in the Program in Medical Education for the Latino Community, which was created to develop physician leaders to address health disparities in the United States and beyond. Dr. Marco Angulo stayed on as a faculty member at the UCI Family Medicine Department, where he served as the Director of Diversity and Inclusion for the Medical School and as the director of the Prime LC Residency Program. Prior to joining Ultimate in 2014, Dr. Angulo also served as a chief medical officer of an FQHC in Santa Ana. In 2016, UCI Health awarded Dr. Angulo the prestigious A-RISE Award for creating an innovative health navigation program focused on the needs of FQHCs. As a resident, he was awarded the AAFP Bristol Meyer Squibb Award for Excellence for Graduate Medical Education, he was also inducted into the Gold Humanism Honor Society as a medical student and faculty member at UCI. In 2012, Dr. Angulo created the Health Scholars Program, one of the largest volunteer clinical experience programs in Orange County, dedicated to closing gaps in care and helping patients more effectively navigate the healthcare system. Dr. Angulo is an avid baseball fan, and his goal is to watch a baseball game in every major league baseball stadium. Currently, he has made it to Leibman Stadiums and 19 more to go. It is such a pleasure to have him on the podcast today. Hi, Dr. Angulo. How are you? Great, Sarah. Great to see you. Great, to, great, to, great see to hear you from you. So <laughs> how, did you, how did your journey to medicine begin? Well, it was very non-traditional. Um, you know, and first and foremost, I wanted to, to say, man, it's just so great to, uh, to see you doing this. It's really much needed. Um, you have no idea how much you're needed in medicine, how much this is needed in medicine. And I just give you props because there's a deficit, a deficit we really have to make up for. And we've been trying mm -hmm. to do it for the past 20, 25, 30 years. And it just, the needle has not moved. Um, and I wanted to thank you for doing that. And a lot of what you're doing is um, my purpose in life, my passion. And I'll tell you a little bit about why it is. Um, so I'm a very non-traditional uh, physician, non-traditional medical student, non-traditional resident. Um, actually, I barely graduated from, from high school. And uh, I always look back and think, why, why did I barely graduate? From, what happened there? And I felt like, if, uh, looking back now, that uh, it was very discouraging. And I didn't feel like, um, like I had, uh, I, I was very good at academics. I felt like my, you know, my parents were from Mexico and um, they both worked. My dad does installed carpeting and, you know, that he was my absolute role model. I love, I loved my father. I no longer with us, but uh, I, I wanted to, I was thinking, well, maybe I can do something in that realm. Um, and one thing I was really good at was uh, playing guitar, actually using my hands to play guitar. And I, I thrived on that. So I continued to do it. And then I ended up saying, you know what? I'm going to actually forget school. I'm going to go ahead and, and become a, a professional musician. So I did that actually for, uh, since I was 18 until I was 26, you know, moved out and had my band and we played around uh, like the Roxy, the whiskey, all these clubs in, in Hollywood. Uh, um, we actually recorded um, and we, I thought this is, this is what I'm going to be doing for the, for the rest of my life. Um, and then, you know, things happen in your life and you realize, and you hit rock bottom and you realize all the people that were supporting you in your life are no longer there because somehow bridges have been burned or somehow we didn't have this, uh, you know, I just, things happen. Yeah. And when you hit rock bottom, you think, okay, now 
now what's going to happen in my life? Where am I going to go with this? Um, that's when, you know, a family member reached out and it was actually my brother. And he said, you know what, you, you know, I know that your, your life isn't going as good. And, and I, I'll paint you a picture, Sarah. Yeah. I had long goatee, long hair down to my, you know, down to my butt. And, you know, like it just, you know, it, my fingernails are painted black. I had, you know, just, it was. <laughs> it's so hard to you imagine that, you that, that way that, still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, um, he said, why don't you go back to school? I think you can do it. And I was like, well, you know, maybe I'll give it a shot. So uh, he con- he convinced me that I was I would be okay to go back to school, and there was no other way to to go because at this point right now it was couch surfing. I was just you know to to make a dollar to actually you know feed myself. You know that was that was the dilemma that I had. You know, so I ended up going back to school, and my family was like, "You're just wasting your time. It's you know." It's it's not in your cards. You did you didn't do so well in high school. Why yeah. why would you want to go back? Yeah. And uh, um, so then after that, I went back and I fell in love with classes again. I fell in love with school. I, I couldn't believe that I was actually thriving in this environment. And it was back at East LA College. I started community college, and then I met up with people that were very active in the community. Uh, and uh, one guy, named Yasser Hiron, now he's Doctor Hiron. Um, he actually uh, sat me down and said, "Hey, look," he goes, "We're doing this pre-med thing. You know, the Latino community needs Latino docs." And and I was like, "Are you kidding me? You know, I, there's no way I'm going to be doing this." So hanging out with them, getting that environment, getting that uh, you know that the spirit of the whole you know you're you're involved in that yeah. the great mentoring that you're involved in yeah all of a sudden you're like maybe I could do this maybe I could be a physician and that's when things started to trigger actually what really started to trigger is when uh, I wrote my name and I have students do this now I wrote my name Marco Angulo MD and they interrupt um, you really I, quick for a moment I, would, sure. I do that because you taught me that oh. I do that <laughs> It's it's powerful, it is. right? Yes, it's powerful. And and um, when you look at it, and you go, "Well, maybe this could this could be something that I can do." And and when you start believing it yourself, magic starts happening. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you know, um, it's a, it's a pre med is probably the toughest thing I've ever been through. Yeah, because if there's you know you um, you're doubting yourself at all times, right? You're absolutely you're th- thinking about like, wait. Am I wasting my time? Um, you know, my family's like saying, you're, you know, you're, why don't you do something else? Or they're mm. saying, hey, time's passing by. And right. Then, you know, it's like or, you're walking a tightrope. Right. Yeah. Or like if you're a female, when but, are you getting uh, married? When are you going to have kids? Like, that's definitely some of the stuff I and, heard. And this never ends there, right? Because yeah. when are you getting married? Right. So yeah. then you get married. When are you having kids? Yeah. And when are you having your second kid? When you what now? When you having grandkids, right? right? So it's it's um, yeah. So everything's so unclear because you mm-hmm. have to do these classes so perfect. Mm-hmm. You have to do the MCAT perfect, and it's a tightrope that that you definitely walk. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, then there's these pre med advisors that you go to, and you you go to them very vulnerable, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Can you help me get into medical school?" Mm-hmm. And then you hear. Most of the time you hear, oh my goodness, you're not going to go. You got to choose another career. Yeah. And you think, oh my goodness, you don't, I've, I've had that t- told to me so many times. Yeah. How do you recover from that when somebody that either has a PhD or an MD is telling you or a counselor that's been doing this, um, you're not going to make it, you know, like that person must know more than I do, then, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's the idea of finding these people around you right. that believe in you. Right. But first, you got to believe in yourself. Because mm-hmm. if you don't believe in yourself, it ain't going to happen. Right, exactly. Right? So the question that you asked me is like, why did you decide to go into this? Mm-hmm. That that is the main that that is that is my main reason because I saw that there was a need for more physicians to go into the workforce to serve the underserved community. That is the main purpose of being a doctor. Um, that is the reason why I wake up in the morning and go to sleep at night. What it keeps me up at night is to make sure that these patients that remind me of my family members, remind me of, of my friends, that I see them and that I give them the best care possible. Right. 
And that's the reason. And I'll tell you one thing, um, and I feel that uh, other doctors feel like this, that want, like, I'm sure, Sarah, you feel like this. I do. Nobody right? can do it better than, yeah, nobody can do it better than me. And I'm sure that you feel like that too. Nobody can do it. You, you say to yourself, nobody can do it better than me, right? Than you. So we have a, a it, it's just like a transference because everybody reminds us of our family members. And we go in and it's true. It's such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's the reason. <laughs> I I think, no, it's, it's very beautifully said because I mean, even like now that I've started my clerks, my rotations, I get asked like, well, what do you, what do you want to do? What specialty are you considering? And I always say family medicine. And they're like, oh, why? So then I go into kind of like a short version of, of what you said towards the end there. Um, and that's why I want to do. And they're like, oh, like that's a noble cause. I'm like, no, it's a very much needed cause. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I know, especially now, you know, I mean, it, because of the, the, because of COVID, um, it's made us actually see the health uh, inequities more than ever. Exactly. And it's made us see that um, people uh, not, it was, it was very, you know, kind of uncovered. Now it's, it's, we, LA was the, our communities, yeah. the South Gate, you know, uh, those were the last places to get tested. You know, people are like yeah. setting up camp in Beverly Hills and, and you know, Orange County. Yeah. So this is, and I work for Altamed, so I'm so proud to work for Altamed. Mm -hmm. And I feel that uh, we did a really good job saying, you know what, screw it. We got to get out there and we got to make sure we test everybody. Right. So we partnered with the LA County, we partnered with Orange County, and we made sure that our communities are being tested because we wanted to be that voice of the community. So you see it now more than ever. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know? Even here too, like it's I don't even know how it had to kind of like delve into the many kind of like factors that like affect a person's ability to go and get tested whether it's even available to them or like you're just plain working or having other family responsibilities that you have to do like it's not everybody can just work from home or go whenever they would like to absolutely yeah, and, and, and to add to add to that that was the difficulty for us uh, because we were, you know, we had the testing centers and then when somebody tests uh, positive, you're like, okay, you have to isolate yourself. And they're like, well, who's going to bring right. home the, the money? Right. You know, I'm going to lose my, you know, my place or how am I going to feed my kids? Exactly. And, and then when you say, well, I house, well, but there's no place to isolate. We live in a one bedroom. How do we do that? You know? So right. these are some of the things for, for me that, you know, broke my heart through this whole have been breaking my heart through this whole epic, uh, pandemic. You right. Know? So, like, so even like, which I have heard actually too, like some patients will probably think like I did feel a little funny, but I didn't want to kind of come in and take a test because I knew what that would mean. That would mean I wouldn't be able to go to work yeah. and I can't Absolutely. do that. Right. You, right. You nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Sorry, going back to, I guess a little bit more about your pre-med journey. Um, I, I think it would be kind of helpful if we kind of went through, because for the pre-med part of our journey is really, as you described it, just like very anxiety provoking. You're always very unsure of what you're doing or if you're even good enough. And so I kind of wanted to touch um, on like the MCAT, like what was your experience with that? Um, and how did you feel that that translated into your, your performance in medical school? Oh, the MCAT uh, is... Uh, um, probably one of the most uh, the most grueling times I've ever had. And I'll tell you why. It wasn't it wasn't so much the exam itself. It was the idea. The idea of if I don't do well in this exam, my whole career is over. And that thought process for me really I think I feel set me back as opposed to thinking like it's just an exam. I'm gonna I could study I'm gonna study for the proper way I should study and I'm gonna do it. Um, I actually took it three times and I feel, it feels like, uh, I, I feel like I didn't do well those, all those three times, <laughs> three times. In fact, um, I got a story for you and it, it's just, it's, I, I don't say this, this story much, but, uh, uh, you may have heard it, uh, in our conversations, mm -hmm. but, uh, actually, uh, the night before 
I took my first MCAT um, because I was older. I'm, you know, I, I did medical school when I was 36, mm-hmm. right? So um, it was always the whole time thing. I'm, am I going to be, you know, 70 years old and going to medical school, you know? <laughs> um, you always think that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I actually was like 32 or 33, and I was thinking, man, time's passing by, and I got to do this exam. Ended up when I'm studying when I was studying for it, I ended up stressing out so much about the studying or the, the aspect of it. My was with my girlfriend at the time, my wife. She actually had to like leave the house for a little bit and visit family because I was just, you know, just there was no sense of uh, mental health in my life. It was just study, 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 wake up, go to sleep, study, study, study. Yeah. Now looking back, that helped me prepare for the boards because I said, okay, workout time here. Wait, I could, you know, meals are here. You know, kind of. A strategy so that did help me for for the boards and how to study for that mm-hmm. but uh, uh as far as uh, the first time i took it um i remember i was getting ready was at berkeley it was like a paper it was still paper exam it wasn't the computer yet and we took it all in a big room together it was like maybe 150 of us took it and um i i fell asleep i wanted to fall asleep and all of a sudden my heart starts like beating like crazy mm-hmm. and i'm like what's Going on, and I've never felt that before, and it just wouldn't—I could hear it in my in my head. And it was like ten o'clock, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, one, two, three, four o'clock. I'm like, okay, I'm not getting any sleep, and tomorrow the exams are eight o'clock in the morning. And uh, I ended up—I started panicking, thinking like, what am I gonna do? And at four o'clock in the morning, I woke up my my uh, my wife, and in Oakland, we were driving around mm-hmm. to see if we can find something that can help me sleep at four o'clock in the morning. Oh my gosh! And in, there was nothing open, nothing open. Yeah. And we we came back home, and I was like, well, maybe I can catch an hour of sleep for the most important test of my entire life. Yeah. And I ended up um, sleeping. Took a shower, went to take the test, and when I was taking the test, the first part of the test, I was like, okay, um, I could do this. During the second part, which was um, right before right before lunch, it was the physics uh, section. Mm-hmm. I was starting to fall asleep. All the pages were looking like if they were blurry together. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading a passage saying about you know the the ducks are flying and the velocity of. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be great to be uh, at a park looking at ducks? And I was thinking, <laughs> oh my god, wake up, wake up, this is the MCAT. <laughs> and I I just. I said, you know what, this is, this is not good. And I, and, and she like, said, five minutes in five minutes. And it was like about maybe 30 questions that I haven't answered. So I started bubbling and seeing all of them. And I'm like, this is, this is a botched exam. And I went up to her afterward and I said, you know what, I need to go home. I need to leave. And she said, um, you can't leave. You have to take the whole test. And so I got to get out of here. And she's like, okay, tell me you're sick. Just tell me you're sick. I'm like, I'm sick. She goes, okay. And she voided the test and I went out and, you know, I had to, I was taking it with the friends and they're like, where are you going? I'm like, I gotta go. I don't feel so well. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was at Berkeley at one of the, the Strawberry Creek and yeah. I called my, my, I called my dad and, you know, I'm, I'm, and he's like, me get my soul. And I'm like, I failed the MCAT. Yeah. I failed it. And he's like, oh, don't worry. Don't worry, come back home, you know? There's another career for you. And uh, you just feel like you let your entire family down. You feel like you let people that believed in you down. So right, it's like, right. it's, it's always, it's definitely, you know, it was a good run. You think it was a good run. Yeah. It was a really good run, but yeah. oh well. I guess I got to decide something else, you know? And, you know, it's funny. Because even talking to you now, you know, the FCAT is still like, it's still there. It still is, you know? definitely, yeah. And it's something that, you know, anyways, I called my brother. And my brother, uh, he's the one that got me back into, into uh, uh, community college. He actually uh, he said, oh, so well, honey. I'm like, no. He's like, take it again. I'm like, you could take it again. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, this is great. So yeah. um, I, I ended up, you know, I mean, I felt terrible for two weeks. You couldn't get me out of bed. No. You, I was like, you know, and, and people were like calling, checking on me. Yeah. You know, I, I realized that, you know, I put so much importance into this one exam. You know, I put so much of my like, am I a good person? Am I going to be a good doctor? 
into this one exam. Right. Dear Lord, please. MCAT did not, has not taught me anything about treating my patients. No. It has not taught me anything about making sure that their, their diabetes is controlled, their thyroid is, is doing well, uh, that they have, you know, uh, you know, all their structural determinants of health mm-hmm. uh, taken care of. Not once. Mm-hmm. What it did teach me, though, and I'll tell you, it taught me uh, later on for the boards that, First of all, it's just a, a darn test, mm-hmm. right? And second mm-hmm. of all, there's a way and a method to study for these things. Exactly. And somehow somebody decided that this was the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, it, it taught me that I could actually uh, prepare myself for that. So I took and and again, and um, I, I didn't do as well as I wanted to do, but um, it was definitely, you know, it's not... MCAT is not everything on your application to, mm-hmm. to medical school. It's very important, mm-hmm. but there's other aspects like your personal statement, your activities, your uh, letters of recommendation, um, your grades. So then all that mixed into it uh, out of 29 rejections uh, got me to accept two acceptances. And from there on, you know, I, I said, Get me into whatever medical school. Let me just do my thing. Yeah. And the one medical school that, that I chose was UC Irvine. And that was because of the LC program. And uh, um, what, what it, it actually gave us to training us for service toward the Latino community. Right. So that's the one I chose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's still, look, it's still to this day. You think about it and you think like, man, that, that test really, really did a number on me. And it does a number of a lot of us. It makes us lose our, our purpose and who we are and right. what we what we do this for. And and the last thing I wanted to add on this MCAT, Sarah, what yeah. kept me going yeah. was every patient that I was going to see that was I knew was waiting for me. Yeah. You know, and Senora Senor Jimenez, Senor Gutierrez, you know, I felt that I felt that I need to be there for them. So I have to do this exam yeah. in order to get to that next level. Exactly. And to that next step. Yeah. So so here I am. <laughs> you did it. I mean, we you did know? it here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't know if this was like your experience too with it, but at least like I guess to share a little bit about mine. Now that I had just taken my first board exam, and as you know, like my MCAT score was whatever. <laughs> like I, I think I took a kind of like a, a risk uh, applying and, and, you know, thankfully being accepted, but um, that MCAT did linger in the back of my head while I was studying for my step one exam. And um, it just, it was like years ago, but it still gave me that anxiety where I felt like, oh my gosh, well, it's going to happen again. Like it's, and there was no, yeah. you know, I had to go talk to a therapist and all that because there was no reason yeah. for me to, that was in the past. Like there was no reason for me to even think that I was still that same person. I had definitely like acquired new studying skills. Like I was doing well in my courses. There was, there was no reason for me to think that my MCAT was going to predict now in this moment, how I was going to do on my step one exam. Yeah. And I ended up crushing it. Like I did well. And so it's just like, uh, it definitely, the MCAT amazing. did not was not any indicator of how I was going to do in medical school. If anything, it was just, it just showed me that I definitely needed to change my study skills and like learn how to take these kinds of exams <laughs> where right. it's like, Oh, shocker. <laughs> it's not me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that was your experience with, no, it, with um, once you started taking your board exams. No, absolutely. No, you, you nailed it too. And you're all thinking like, well, you know, somebody took a chance on me and then you start thinking like, man, I, I just, I hope this doesn't happen again. And, and yeah, there's definitely uh, um, high anxiety on that board. And then of course the medical school doesn't do uh, justice with say, like, you better pass this one. You know, like this is, this is the big one and it's, it's more stress, but uh, um, they don't, they don't tell you that 90 something, 90, 96, 97% pass on everybody's fine and everybody's, you know, yeah, the MCAT was definitely uh, a different, a different ball game. You know, you know, one thing uh, when I got to medical school, the first thing was like, oh, got to med school, I can't believe it. The second thing was like, I don't have to take the MCAT again. I <laughs> second thought right away. Yeah. I was like, oh god, that's enough incentive. <laughs> that's a reason to celebrate. Yeah, it's. I mean, you are not the yeah. only ones that have that feeling about that test. So 
Yeah. It's, it, it's, a, it's definitely an obstacle and it's an obstacle. And I think we're losing a lot of great physicians because uh, people fear as an obstacle and, and maybe say, you know what, then this, this is an indicator that I'm not going to do good in medical school. Right. You know, and it's not. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. not. It's about the whole package, like you said, like what you're doing um, for your activities. What is your passion? Why do you want to go into medicine? All of that will speak to what actually what kind of position you're going to be versus a score on, on a standardized exam. So, yeah, that's yeah, really great. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you a little mm-hmm. bit about your experience in medical school. Um, how like did you feel that you were supported in medical school? If you can share a little bit about that. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, you know, I, and then just a full disclaimer, Sarah, you know, I went to the, the UCI, the Prime LC program, the Prime mm-hmm. LC is a program of medical education for the community, and uh, there's 12 uh, per cohort that come in that are very, <clears throat> their purpose is to serve the Latino community. So that's why I chose that program, because I was looking for a program uh, to go into medical school. Um, and, um, I got into uh, Irvine, I got into Albany and Albany was amazing when they were like, come, come help us build something here and come, you know, and then Irvine was already, you know, a program functioning. And I look for that now, uh, when I was, when I was there, um, you know, as far as the school is concerned, um, there was a lot of support academically, mm-hmm. academically, it was, you know, it, it definitely, if you go beyond the, uh, like a threshold of like the pass, no pass kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And they'll notice, you know, all of a sudden they'll send out like, uh, you know, do you need tutoring? Do you need whatever, whatever <laughs> you need, we're going to get to you, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely felt, felt that aspect. Um, did I feel that I was prepared for medical school um, as opposed to my other classmates and everything like that? I, no, you know, because I felt a lot of people in my in my school, they had, you know, relatives or they had parents or they had their grandparents that were already physicians. And uh, they had been living this um, this profession for a long time, from generation to generation to generation. Yeah. And uh, I was first generation. So I was just so confused about the whole thing and the whole process behind it. I wasn't supported in that way. I didn't yeah. feel that we had faculty that I could turn to that was, uh, that would understand what I was going through. And um, it was always like, well, that's how you feel. Let's try to fix it. But there was nobody there that really understood where I was coming from, Yeah, you know, and there was a few of us there, you know, uh, that, that felt like that. So we, we gathered and we supported each other. Yeah. You know, we, we coalesced amongst each other and we made sure that uh, had uh, uh, people outside of UCI that uh, that were you know we could reach out to and support us um, that were coming from our same backgrounds and that 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 knew us. But as far as that aspect, that was difficult, and because we wanted to also create um, this a culture that this environment where we could so as, as students we could support each other. Mm-hmm. So then what happened was that all of a sudden I get called and people get called to like go to conferences and recruit and to go. And, you know, I was part of the Latino Medical Student Association. I was also part of other organizations and mm-hmm. the school was very happy to be like, oh, we'll pay for your flight over if you go and recruit. Mm-hmm. Um, but that took a toll. That took a toll yeah. on my academics too, right? Because right? right. I was trying to study, mm-hmm. be a medical student, but they're like, yeah, but we need more diversity and you guys are the people to help us recruit. And now looking back, I think like, man, we'll get paid for that. Don't people yeah. have like departments for that yeah. and they send people up for that? So they really put a lot of task on, on students and then they, they call it sometimes, they call it the minority tax, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where it's, it's like you're, you're, you know, great, go out there, you know, and get more, get more people like you kind of a thing. And uh, at the time, you're like, absolutely, I need for this school to survive and to thrive and we can get this done. And and you look back and you're like, wow, you know, I did a lot of work for that school. Yeah, <laughs> you know? but then it's also oh, like goodness. a little bit unfair. Like when I, because I definitely, I feel like it's we've experienced boring. that here too. And I think it's probably not a situation that's like unique to your school or my school. But like, then it's like, well, why don't you put it also as much effort in like recruiting some like um, diverse uh, attendings or, or faculty as, yeah. as students so that way we can feel supported and when we go and like be like hey would you recommend this medical school yes because of x y and z like you got to give us reasons <laughs> no absolutely 
absolutely. No, you're, you're right. Uh, 110%. And there was no faculty. There was very little faculty that, that, um, I, and that, you know, and then we could talk, I was, I was faculty there as well. So, you know, I have a little bit of insight of what goes on in, as a faculty. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, my goodness, it's, it's just very difficult to recruit because it, when you recruit, you want to make sure that when it's a faculty member, you feel supported. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to feel supported, then, then why go to a place? Uh, it's just a recipe for failure. Right. Um, but that was the difficult part of, of, uh, feeling supported. You know, um, and not having coaching, you know, I think the mm-hmm. uh, um, first, second year our in medical school are set up pretty much just, you know, didactics, you know, like the learning yeah. part. They try to throw in their like, oh, clinical experience, but they really want you to, you know, to pass the boards. Right. And then they, they're, so they're testing for that. Right. And it's definitely like a fire hydrant of information. Yeah. And you're like, what am I supposed to all this stuff down? And then third year is, is uh, completely different. And yeah. really nobody coached me through that. And I mean, I'll be honest with you, third year for me, I felt half of the year was <clears throat> was a disaster because I was just trying not to get in the way. <laughs> I was like, you know, I just don't want to, you know, and then that's the year that I should be diving into things and be like, oh, what do you need? How's it going? But, you know, I'm coming from a community where it's like, I feel honored to be there and I just don't want to be a burden. You know, but that's yet, so funny that you nobody, say that because I feel that way too, but is that not normal? No. So then, so then, okay, then I'll, I'll, I'll uh, now that, now that I was in attending, I so I'll feel you in on, on uh, third year, Sarah. Okay. And, and then how I started honoring third year. Okay, um, good. Because yeah, so I, I definitely I, feel well, like sometimes I just kind of like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, oh, let me just <laughs> get out of your way. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I actually sat down uh, uh, with Jesus Uyoa, he's now a, a vascular surgeon over at, I think it's at UCLA. Nice, great guy, Dr. Uyoa. He was a classmate of mine. And uh, he went, he's, he's first generation, but he figured this thing out quick. And he told me, um, he said, you know, uh, how's third year going? I go to disaster. I'm barely passing my clinical. Nobody likes me. I feel like I'm a burden. You're like, I just was going down like, and I feel like I'm a visitor, you know, in the, the, the rotations. And then every rotation is t- different. So then you've got to start, try to figure out, okay, this attending like this, this way, this resident like this, oh, that way. Gosh, yes. and it's, it's performance anxiety. It's, yes. it's, it's just, uh, it, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, it was one of the worst times in my medical, in my medical career, <laughs> oh. in medical school. Yeah. <laughs> You're supposed to be one of the best But nobody times. tells you this. <laughs> Yeah, no, they, no, they pitch it to you like that. Yeah. They pitch it to you like that. They're like, oh, you're seeing patients. It's great. But you're also dealing with residents that are really tired. And yeah. you're also dealing with attendings that, that want to show you the way they, they were taught. So it's, mm-hmm. it's anxiety provoking. And then, yeah, I would hide in, in the patient's rooms. <laughs> I'd be like, here, I feel comfortable here. You know, and they're like, where is that medical student? So, Yeah. So then he sat me down back to Jesus, God bless him. And I tell him this all the time. He's like, how's third year going? I go, it's not going so well. He's like, I'm like, how's it going for you? He's like, oh, I honored, honored our surgery. Oh, I honored internal medicine. I go, Jesus, how did you do that? Teach me how to do that. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, he goes, amigo. He's like, you know what? Let me tell you. He's like, when you go into these places uh, in the hospital or wherever you go, you're a servant. You are a servant. Think of yourself as a waiter. You are the person that's saying, how can I help you? What can I do more? Oh, you need more of this? Let me go get that for you. We know. Um, so then I'll give you an example. One of the best third years I've ever worked with. So I'm in the hospital. I'm a resident now. And uh, uh, this, this uh, third year student comes in. I'm, doing, I'm going to be doing a paracentesis, which is a, a, mm-hmm. a procedure that I'm going to take some fluid out of the tummy of a patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'm getting ready to do it. I'm all doing okay. This, this, this is my first one. This third year medical student says, oh man, let me get everything ready for you, Dr. Angulo. And he set up the bottle, the lines, everything is like, it's all set for you. You know, go for it. You're going to be doing great. I'm like, who is this guy? You know? And uh, um, I, I did the, the everything, got the bottles, everything. At the end, I came out and then uh, he's like, here's your note. I kind of pre-ordered for you. I got it online and, you know, kind of got tempers out. I wanted to make sure that you signed it. And, I'm like, this guy is amazing. You know, he made my life easier. Yeah. And he was engaged, involved, and he was not, he was not in the way. 
He was actually a big part of our, our team. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to have to tell you his name. His name's Jeff Cashin. He was amazing. He's an anesthesiologist now. Mm-hmm. But man, that guy made my life. So then now I understood what, what Jesus was talking about. Mm-hmm. And during the second part of the third year, that's me. That was me. I was all over the place. I'm like, oh, you know, you're going to be, we're doing deliveries. No, be oh, let me get everything ready. Let's go. You know, because the residents and the attendees are like, wow, this guy's really, really into it. And, you know, they'll be like, let me show you this now. Let me show you that. As opposed to like someone kind of sitting back and going, I just don't want to get in the way. That was my oh, change. Okay. All of a sudden, I was like, I was, I own the hospital. It was my home. It was my playground, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it made a huge difference. And it was honor, 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 honor after that. Even for family medicine, there was one um, EKG for a patient that we could not get. And it was going to make a difference in the treatments because we wanted to know if there was any bundle branch blocks or whatever and could compare it. Mm-hmm. And I stayed after like six o'clock, calling the hospitals and getting finally got that from another hospital the the to compare it that you can't to compare it to. Mm-hmm. And I took it to my attendant and was like, boom, we got it. And she's like, Oh my God, I've been trying to get this for a couple of weeks. And you uh this is great, right? So when I went to Irvine I uh residency mm-hmm. uh and I came in, she's like, you know, you were you were highly picked and she's like, I always remember that one EKG that you brought me that I was like, Oh, really? oh I was like, oh, you know, gosh. I was doing it just to do it. Right. Know? It was cool. It huh. was cool. So I guess yeah. the takeaway is just just do whatever you think that can be helpful. <laughs> Get in there, you know, get in there, Sarah. Be, yeah. be, be the servant. Don't even, I mean, coffee and things like that. That's, that's a no, little bit, that's right, a little on the, right. you know, they shouldn't be asking you for that. Yeah. But, but as far as patient care, you know, as mm-hmm. far as like, even if you, the hospital that got two hospital, uh, uh, tw- two buildings mm-hmm. and one's like, oh, the, the, the medical rate on the other side of the building, <laughs> I'm your man. Let me go down there and get it for the team, you know? Yeah. So um, that's what I'm talking about. You know, people really appreciate that. Yeah. Especially tired residents. Nice. Wow. Okay. That's a lot. But um, those are all really great tips because I feel that I definitely can improve in some aspects of during my clerkship or my rotations. Um, and that becomes enjoyable. Third year, becomes, third right. year becomes really enjoyable. Well, my next rotation after psychiatry is family medicine. So, and um, I got placed in a primarily Spanish speaking uh, clinic. So I'm very excited for it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. I mean, oh, uh, thank awesome. you. I'm just like, I'm really excited because I'm like, finally, finally, I can kind of go where I want to be. And I'm honestly, I, anytime <laughs> that I've been in rotations so far, like anytime I've spoken with a Spanish speaking patient, I am the happiest. I am the happiest that I can be in my day is made like the whole day. It doesn't matter if it was just one patient the whole day. I feel great. And because it's my purpose and that's what, that's why I, you know, started this journey. It's really hard. It's really challenging, but I started it for that purpose. And so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to my next rotation, but, um, if we can kind of get into, um, if you can talk a little bit about now, we have like about like 15 minutes, a little bit about your, um, what you're doing now. Um, maybe a little bit about the ultimate family residency. Oh, I, no. I, oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 15 minutes to talk. Okay. No, no we um, can go more, yeah. but I just want to be respectful of your time. No. So, uh, just to let you know, Sarah, just, this is how it all started. Not, not all for me, all started for me, but it's already, it's been going on in ultimate, which is amazing. And I'll tell you about this place. Uh, it is uh, definitely, it felt like a bee to a beehive mm-hmm. for myself, you know? And uh, at, when I was at UCI, uh, I definitely had a wonderful time there as a faculty member. I actually ended up going from medical school to residency there and staying on as a faculty member straight from, from my residency. And uh, um, I was uh, running a lot of community medicine uh, programs there. Uh, you were absolutely mm-hmm. uh, essential and part of part of one of them that we had for the health scholars program, right? Um, which, which was giving back to our community. And you did a, such a wonderful job at, at that. No, um, thank you. It was so, so great to work with you at that. Yeah, that's right. I have seen you then transition from there, from from faculty at UCI, yeah. and then. Um, Serving the people, then we, and then now ultimate. Yeah. So then, and it, but the reason why, uh, the main reason why at, at UCI was because I I felt you know at that point I felt a little bit alone and isolated as a faculty member, and I think this is where we have to uh, um, be said 
make sure that faculty members are supported, right? And I think it's gotten better at UCI now, kind of talking to people that, that are there. Um, but uh, um, I felt like I was the only one. <laughs> All of a sudden you had maybe 25 students that were like, hey, can you sponsor me on this project? And you're like, wow, okay, you know, is there anybody else that's gonna, you know, <laughs> help out here we could share? And um, I felt that we needed to start training, always training that next generation of providers, always making sure. So it was very personal to me, but I was working seven days a week, sometimes mm-hmm. from like, you know, seven in the morning until until seven, eight at night, even on Saturdays, yeah. right? And even on Sundays. Yeah. And I remember even seeing the fireworks at Disneyland from one of my offices in Orange and on Saturday thinking like, maybe I should be home with my wife. Maybe we should be, you know, have the family time. Yeah. But uh, it, was some, it was my purpose at the time when I felt that we needed, I, it was, if I wasn't going to do it, who's going to do it? Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then I thought, you know, well, if I wanted to go ahead and, uh, you know, get involved in that very qualified health center world with a know-how it, how it works. Mm-hmm. So that I was offered the job of chief medical officer there at Serve the People. Mm-hmm. And so we stole you over there to help us with our group <laughs> medical business. Oh my gosh, it's, <laughs> it's one of the wonderful. best times. Oh, I love it. I, I still talk that, about that here at medical school. And I'm like, really? What is that? I'm like, oh, let me tell oh, you all about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And and Sarah, that's, for me, that's real medicine. That, that's medicine where, you know, that's community. That's complete. You, you make people feel like if, it's not just a clinic, it's a home, you know, and right. you've made, exactly. you made people feel like that when you had your, your, your uh, group visit. Oh, thanks, we Marco. always think about that. And thank you for that. Um, and you're there and you're thinking, okay, great. This is wonderful. But it, it definitely is time consuming with, you know, just you're seeing patient care, but then always, when are we training that next generation? Mm-hmm. You know, like we said, in, in your medical school or in, in my medical school, there was nobody that kind of helped us through the process. Mm-hmm. So I missed that from UC Irvine, the, the faculty aspect. Of, but then when I went to the chief medical officer, it was like, I didn't have, we, we didn't have time to do that with residency, with mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. And this wonderful opportunity uh, actually opened at Altamed. And it's now, they were starting a residency program for family medicine to train that next generation of providers going through to be the best providers possible in a community-based setting and work with patients and uh, it help. It's all about health equity. Yeah. It's all about uh, lowering the barriers of social determinants of health, mm-hmm. making sure that was our main priority. And the residents that we were going to get were residents they weren't just any residents. They were residents that lived it, that breathed it, that, you know, that this was their life uh, mm-hmm. existence. So that convinced me to say, you know what, I'm in 110%. And I can still see patients and the population is the population that I want to be a uh, part of, which is the same population as you, mm-hmm. you know, people that remind me of my, my family members, right, right. Uh, Latinx. Uh, and it was just a phenomenal fit. And last year, uh, we we opened up the residency um, in November. Uh, um, we matched our first six residents. And these residents this year have been phenomenal. Everything we ever thought of. We were thinking, like, are we going to match? You know, because we, you know, we, <laughs> we actually opened up late. Yeah. And everything has worked out. And, uh, you know, people gravitate to people. And mm-hmm. we know now well, we, ha- we had our residents. And they have been nothing more than phenomenal. They they have such great patient care. And for us, we are their third year residents because they don't have, they're the first year. Yeah. So they don't have anybody to bounce things off. So they don't have a second year to bounce things off right. of third year. So as faculty, uh-huh. we are, we are there, there, uh, they can call me. I'm on call every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm. And I'm more than happy to be on call for them because that is something that we promised them. Right. And I want to make sure that they're taken care of. But, uh, Speaking of now the faculty that's here, oh my goodness, it is, it is hand-picked, hand-recruited. Uh, Dr. Florio, we, we pulled her away from UCSF. She was my, my old preceptor when I was at Irvine, one of the best faculty members at Irvine. She was at UCSF at the time and said, come on down and help us run this program. She's like, how could I not? Dr. Malgar, she's got amazing experience in women's health mm-hmm. she's, uh, and community medicine. And she's also the associate program director. And every single one of our faculty members is either has, has uh, um, well, their cause is, is your cause. Their purpose is your purpose mm-hmm. to serve the medically underserved community and to do it by lowering the barriers of social determinants of health mm-hmm. and creating 
uh, a more equitable healthcare system. So it's, we all get along. We all go, you know, I mean, as, as friendly as we can, we all go out to like, you know, team bonding dinners and it's, it's a family. It really is. And uh, um, I love, you know, everybody at Irvine, my, my residency program, but this one has a way feel to it. Yeah. It has a family feel. And you know, Sarah, it has like a, like we did when we were in the health college program, it has that family, uh, oh, just that's everybody best. is involved. That's the best. It just you feels so much it. more personal you know, and like you feel so supported that, you know, it's already a stressful time residency. So to have that feeling of family and community, like what more could you ask for? You're absolutely right. And they're residents, mm-hmm. right? The residents and and they're working so hard, right? And um, you know, once again, they're they're it's definitely uh, um, something that we want to make they're taken care of. They're, they're getting the best that they that they that they can. Yeah, that's amazing. So, have you how have you guys yeah. been adjusting for um, matching during COVID times? So everything now is online. Yeah. Everything, uh, is, all the interviews are going to be online and we're going to do the Zoom or uh, WebEx. I think we're choosing Zoom because we do breakout rooms. Ah, okay. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's going to be, a, I think everybody, all the residencies are on board with this. We've got a lot of help from different aspects and different residencies. Mm-hmm. See how things go. I'm sure there's going to be wonderful successes. I'm sure there's going to be wonderful things that we work on mm-hmm. and we improve, but uh, you know, I'm definitely going to miss the one-on-one kind of like, you know, coming in and, and talking, but I think we're all so accustomed now to, to Zoom mm-hmm. that uh, um, it's going to be great. It really is. And um, those one-on-one interviews can happen now on Zoom, like we're doing right now. Yeah. You know, it seems very natural now. Yeah. At the beginning, it, it, it probably didn't. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now, now that we've been doing it for a while, it, it's like just definitely you get into it and it's yeah. just a part of life. It's the new normal, how they say. It really is. So. I always joke that in medical school, that you know that that class in pan, the pandemic, I I must have missed that day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what is this? Yeah, <laughs> What's it, going on here? Oh my gosh, it's definitely a learning experience, like in both ways, because I feel that um, I'm definitely learning things that I otherwise wouldn't, but. I'm also then restricted um, to not seeing as many patients because either they're suspected COVID or they are confirmed COVID or whatever the case may be. We're trying to reduce obviously the risk to the students, but so yeah, there just is a little bit of, I think maybe a little bit of my clinical learning experience is not going to be as up to par with maybe the classes before me. So that kind of concerns me a little bit, but I guess that's what residency residency will be for. So, and hopefully um, this will all get under control in my fourth year, and I can get some of that experience back in my elective. So, yeah. Oh, that's gonna be great. Well, just to let you know, Sarah, that uh, fourth year is a dream. That's what everybody says. Whatever, whatever that's what I've heard. <laughs> no, it's it's a dream, and it's definitely because like you're doing your your sub eyes, mm-hmm. which is your just your uh, sub internship. Yeah. And whatever you're going to be going into, and you're now treated like a an intern, so you have more, you know, your patients, your patients, mm-hmm. and then your electives are all the things that you love to do. Um, this is just a wonderful, a wonderful time in medicine. Yeah. I always think that they gave you fourth year too, so you can like make up for third year. <laughs> on the on the gruelingness of third year. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's right. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. So I hope you like it. No, I'm, I'm sure I will. Yeah, I am. But yeah, so I guess like to end, end it here, maybe on the note of, um, I don't know, I was kind of thinking of something like along the, the word, like some words of like inspiration that you have for any medical students or pre-med students that are listening to this podcast. Like what are some kind of like motivational words of advice that you would give them to have them continue on this journey? Oh man, it, the, the whole road is definitely grueling from pre-med to medical, to residency, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then you become an attending and you go and work. Um, would I do it all over again? Absolutely. Oh my God, I feel like I'm living my, my dream. I feel like it's, it's, it's all been worth it. Um, and the, the great part about this is that, Sarah, you've chosen a career where you're gonna have a lot of options but you're not going to, I, it took me a while to realize that 
I had a lot of ability and power to decide where I wanted to be Mm -hmm. and how much where I wanted to practice and, and where I wanted to put my energy Mm -hmm. as, as a physician, you have that. If you want to see patients five days a week, you have that all for you. Mm -hmm. If you want to go ahead and and do like pipeline, and this is what I do now, continue medical education and also see patients, you have the combination to do whatever you want to Mm -hmm. do and find that position where, where you're doing that. So um, what I'm trying to do is make sure that our docs at Altamed and also you have the career of your dreams. So I, I feel like I found it. We kind of do it. We got to make sure that you, you find that as well. And a lot of times, once again, you go through this process and you think, is it all worth it? Yeah. It, I, I cannot, I, every day I wake up, I cannot believe what I do and the impact that you can have on your patient population and nothing, no, it never gets old to go into a room and to sit with the patient. And I have the ability to do that and to listen to stories that sometimes people, they don't even tell their, their uh, wives or husbands. Yeah. And to try to, to be a part of that team and to try to do the best for my patient, man, that is, that is magic. Yeah. I can't even, I can't even express how wonderful that feeling is. Um, and you do it every day. And every day, and when it, you know, that's, you know, I'll leave you with that, but uh, it's, it's completely, completely worth it. That's great. I think that's what we all need to hear, honestly, because I've definitely had those moments like, oh my gosh, is this worth it? Do I, why am I doing this? And then when you come back to your purpose, you're Um, like, all right, all right, let's keep going. (laughs) So, yeah. And if, and if you end up like, you know, and I tell people it's a position, if you end up working at a place where you're like, man, I'm just not feeling it, then it's not the right place for you. Right. Exactly. You gotta, you have to find that place, Yeah. you know? So, but, but the uh, residency in, in medical school is such a short time. It's like four years in, in medical school, uh, three years to five years in residency, wherever you go, you know, or, mm-hmm. and that's it. After that, there's like 30, 40 years of practicing, you know, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Angulo, for being on the I Look Like a Doctor podcast. It was really great to see you and um, interview you and just hear all of your story again. It's honestly one of my favorite stories. And obviously, you you know, we know each other, we're friends, and you've been one of my biggest supporters, if not my biggest supporter in my whole journey to medical school and medicine in general. So thank you so much for everything you do, everything you've done for me and everything you do for the future generation now. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for listening to the I Look Like a Doctor podcast. If you would be so kind as to leave us a review on your listening platform, it would really help us to get the show out to more people. As a special incentive, if you have a question for the next physician guest or myself, feel free to leave that question in your review. Or as an alternative, you can also screenshot your review and email that to ilooklikeadoctor at gmail.com along with your question. Thank you.